Chapter six of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter six. Stephen's prophecy came true. They had a better dinner than anyone else had, and enjoyed it as an adventure victoria thought their waiter a particularly good-natured man because instead of sulking over his duties he beamed stephen might if he had chosen have thrown another light upon the waiter's smiles but he didn't choose and he was happy he gave victoria good advice and promised help from neville cared he's sure to meet me at the ship he said and if you'll let me i'll introduce him to you he may be able to find out everything you want to know stephen would have liked to go on talking after dinner but the girl ashamed of having taken so much of his time would not be tempted she went to her cabin and thought of him as well as of her sister and he thought of her while he walked on deck under the stars for a moment white then gone forever again the words came singing into his head she was white white as this lace-like foam that silvered the mediterranean blue and she had not gone forever as he had thought when he likened her whiteness to the spindrift of the dark channel waves she had come into his life once more unexpectedly and she might brighten it again for a short time on land in that unknown garden his thoughts pictured behind the gate of the east yet she would not be of his life there was no place in it for a girl still he thought of her and went on thinking involuntarily planning things which he and neville cared would do to help the child in her romantic errand of course she must not be allowed to travel about algeria alone once settled in algiers she must stay there quietly till the authorities found her sister he used that powerful-sounding word authorities vaguely in his mind, but he was sure that the thing would be simple enough. The police could be applied to, if Neville and his friends should be unable to discover Ben Halim and his American wife. Almost unconsciously, Stephen saw himself earning Victoria Ray's gratitude. It was a pleasant fancy, and he followed it as one wanders down a flowery path found in a dark forest victoria's thoughts of him were many though different she had never filled her mind with nonsense about men as many girls do as she would have said to herself she had been too busy when girls at school had talked of being in love and of marrying she had been interested as if in a story-book but it had not seemed to her that she would ever fall in love or be married it seemed so less than ever now that she was at last actually on her way to look for Saidee she was intensely excited and there was room only for the one absorbing thought in mind and heart yet she was not as anxious as most others would have been in her place now that heaven had helped her so far she was sure that she would be helped to the end it would be too bad to be true that anything dreadful should have happened to saidee anything from which she victoria could not save her and so now very soon perhaps everything would come right it seemed to the girl that somehow stephen was part of a great scheme 
that he had been sent into her life for a purpose. Otherwise, why should he have been so kind since the first, and have appeared this second time, when she had almost forgotten him in the press of other thoughts? Why should he be going where she was going, and why should he have a friend who had known Algiers and Algeria since the time when Sadi's letters had ceased? All these arguments were childlike, but Victoria Ray had not passed far beyond childhood, and though her ideas of religion were her own, unlearned and unconventional, such as they were, they meant everything to her. Many things which she had heard in churches had seemed unreal to the girl, but she believed that a great power moving the universe planned her affairs, as well as the affairs of the stars, and with equal interest. She thought that her soul was a spark given out by that power, and that what was God in her had only to call to the all of God to be answered. She had called, asking to find Sadi, and now she was going to find her, just how she did not yet know, but she hardly doubted that Stephen Knight was connected with the way. Otherwise, what was the good of him to her? And Victoria was far too humble in her opinion of herself, despite that buoyant confidence in her star, to imagine that she could be of any use to him. She could be useful to Sadi, that was all. She hoped for nothing more. And little as she knew of society, she understood that Stephen belonged to a different world from hers, the world where people were rich and gay and clever and amused themselves, the high world from a social point of view. She supposed, too, that Stephen looked upon her as a little girl, while she in her turn regarded him gratefully and admiringly as from a distance. And she believed that he must be a very good man. It would never have occurred to Victoria to call him, even in thought, her white knight, as Margaret Lorenzi persisted in calling him, and had called him in the famous interview. But it struck her, the moment she had heard his name, that it somehow fitted him like a suit of armour. She was fond of finding an appropriateness in names, and sometimes, if she were tired or a little discouraged, she repeated her own aloud, several times over. Victoria, Victoria, I am Victoria, until she felt strong again to conquer every difficulty which might arise against her, in living up to her name. Now she was of opinion that Stephen's face would do very well in the picture of a young knight of olden days, going out to fight for the true cross. Indeed, he looked as if he had already passed through the preparation of a long vigil, for his face was worn, and his eyes seldom smiled, even when he laughed and seemed amused. His features gave her an idea that the Creator had taken a great deal of pains in chiselling them, not slighting a single line. She had seen handsomer men, indeed, the splendid Arab on the ship was handsomer, but she thought— if she were a general who wanted a man to lead a forlorn hope which meant almost certain death, she would choose one of Stephen's type. She had the impression that he would not hesitate to sacrifice himself for a cause, or even for a person, in an emergency, although he had the air of one used to good fortune, who loved to take his own way in the small things of life. And so she finally went to sleep thinking of Stephen. It is seldom that even the Charles Queux, one of the fastest ships plying between Marseille and Algiers, 
makes the trip in eighteen hours as advertised generally she takes two half-days and a night but this time people began to say that she would do it in twenty-two hours very early in the dawning she passed the balearic isles mysterious purple in an opal sea and it was not yet noon when the jagged line of the atlas mountains hovered in pale blue shadow along a paler horizon then as the turbines whirred the shadow materialized taking a golden solidity and a wildness of outline at length the tower of a lighthouse started out clear white against blue as a shaft of sunshine struck it next the nearer mountains slowly turned to green as a chameleon changes the admiralty islands came clearly into view the ancient nest of those fierce pirates who for centuries scourged the mediterranean and last of all the climbing town of algiers old algezair el bahadia took form like thick patterns of mother-o'-pearl set in bright green enamel the patterns eventually separating themselves into individual buildings the strange bulbous domes of the byzantine cathedral on a hill sprang up like a huge tropical plant of many flowers unfolding fantastic bands of deep rose-colour against a sky of violet flame at last africa said victoria standing beside stephen and leaning on the rail she spoke to herself half whispering the words heartily aware that she uttered them but stephen heard the two had not been long together during the morning for each had been shy of giving too much of himself or herself although they had secretly wished for each other's society as the voyage drew to a close however stephen was no longer able to resist an attraction which he felt like a compelling magnetism his excuse was that he wanted to know miss ray's first impressions of the place she had constantly seen in her thoughts during ten years is it like what you expected he asked yes she said it's like because i have photographs and i've read every book i could get hold of old and new in french as well as english i always kept up my french you know for the same reason that i studied arabic i think i could tell the names of some of the buildings without making mistakes yet it looks different as the living face of a person is different from a portrait in black and white and i never imagined such a sky i didn't know skies could be of such a colour it's as if pale fire were burning behind a thin veil of blue it was as she said stephen had seen vivid skies on the riviera but there the blue was more opaque like the blue of the turquoise here it was ethereal and quivering like the violet fire that hovers over burning shiplocks he was glad the sky of africa was unlike any other sky he had known it intensified the thrill of enchantment he had begun to feel it seemed to him that it might be possible for a man to forget things in a country where even the sky was of another blue sometimes when stephen had read in books of travel at which he seldom even glanced or in novels about the mystery of the east he had smiled in a superior way why should the east be more mysterious than the west the north or south except that women were shut up in harems and wore veils if they stirred out of doors such customs could scarcely make a whole country mysterious but now 
though he had not yet landed he knew that he would be compelled to acknowledge the indefinable mystery at which he had sneered already he fancied an elusive influence like the touch of a ghost it was in the pulsing azure of the sky in the wild forms of the atlas and far cabile mountains stretching into vague pale distances in the ivory white of the low domed roofs that gleamed against the vivid green hill of the sahel like pearls on a veiled woman's breast is it what you thought it would be victoria inquired in her turn i hadn't thought much about it stephen had to confess fearing she would consider such indifference uninteresting he did not add what remained of the truth that he had thought of algiers as a refuge from what had become disagreeable rather than as a beautiful place which he wished to see for its own sake i'd made no picture in my mind you know a lot more about it all than i do though you've lived so far away and i within a distance of forty-eight hours that great copper-coloured church high on the hill is notre dame d'afrique said the girl she's like a dark sister of notre dame de la garde who watches over marseilles isn't she i think i could love her though she's ugly really and i've read in a book that if you walk up the hill to visit her and say a prayer you may have a hundred days indulgence much good an indulgence would do him now stephen thought bitterly as the ship steamed closer inshore the dreamlike beauty of the white town on the green hillside sharpened into a reality which might have seemed disappointingly modern and french had it not been for the sprinkling of domes the pointing fingers of minarets with glittering tiles of bronzy green and the grips of old arab houses crowded in among the crudities of a new western civilization down by the wharf for which the boat aimed like a homing bird were huddled a few of these houses ancient dwellings turned into commercial offices where shipping business was transacted they looked forlorn yet beautiful like haggard slave-women who remembered days of greatness in a far-off land the charlequeur slackened speed as she neared the harbour and every detail of the town leaped to the eyes dazzling in the southern sunshine the encircling arms of breakwaters were flung out to sea in a vast embrace the smoke of vessels threaded with dark wavy lines the pure crystal of the air the caves were heaped with merchandise some of it in bales as it might have been brought by caravans across the desert there was a clanking of cranes at work a creaking of chains a flapping of canvas and many sounds which blend in the harsh poetry of sea-harbours then voices of men rose shrilly above all heavier noises as the ship slowly turned and crept beside a floating pontoon the journey together was over for stephen knight and victoria ray chapter six